A strange providence. That's how the caption began of the Facebook post of a distinguished preaching professor, Dr. Joel Gregory. It was a picture of his late mother, and he types her name, Edith M. Gregory, and mentions that at the age of eight years old in 1922, she trusted Christ as her Savior and Lord, while a man by the name of George W. Truitt was preaching in a North Texas small town called Gainesville, Texas. She trusted Christ at the age of eight. Her father trusted Christ on that same occasion. And Joel Gregory writes, strange providence, a wonderful providence that a hundred years later in 2022, her son would be teaching at a seminary that bears the name of George W. Truitt. And then he goes on to talk about the godly woman that his mother was, that she was a valedictorian in her high school class, that she was forced to stay on the farm even though she had received a college scholarship because she was going through the Great Depression, and that she taught Sunday school until she was 87 years of age. Her last words were pronounced while she was knitting, and she said, I'm getting ready to meet the Lord. And I said, what a really wondrous and strange providence indeed that is, that an eight-year-old girl would give her life to Christ without knowing that one day her son would grow up to be not just a distinguished preacher, but a, a professor of preaching at a school that bore the name of the man that led her to Christ. When we think of Mother's Day, we know that it's an important day. It is a day when we thank God for our moms, for all that they have done, all that they mean to us. We, we honor them. And, and we realize this is a happy day for many moms as, as they get to, to, to be with their family. And it's also a difficult day for some women. Uh, it is a difficult day for those that have lost their moms and have passed on. But, but as we think of the range of emotions that feel today because uh, we might be together with our family or we might be remembering the memory of a, of a loved one or we might be going through a family difficulty, we, we, we experience all those emotions. And today we turn to a story about two women who experience God's providence in, in the turmoil and in the challenges and, and in the journey of their life. They experience the grace of God. They experience God's redemption, and it made a difference. And I'm referring to the book of Ruth in the Bible. And as we look at the story of these two women, I want to say to moms here, we celebrate you today, and we remind you that you make a real difference. That I hope that you're encouraged today in your work, in your role, in your call. That, that you are even comforted as you're going through difficult times knowing that you make a difference. So we look at the stories of Naomi and Ruth and see how God worked in their lives to make a difference. But the story begins with hope being shattered. Have you ever been at a point in your life where there are so many pressures on you that you, that you lose the drive and, 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 and that you experience the brink of despair. Have you ever come to the point in your life where, where you want to be as optimistic as you can, but everyone and everything around you is saying otherwise? Have you been at the stage in your life where hope has been shattered? That is exactly where Naomi 
and Ruth found themselves. Their dreams and their hopes were shattered. Naomi was married to a name to a man by the name of Elimelech. They lived in Bethlehem and, and they had land, but uh, when they experienced difficulty and, and they were experiencing poverty, they had to leave their hometown behind, their land behind, their family, their, their connections, and they had to become migrants. They became foreigners in another land, the land of Moab. And, and as they went there, they, they had two sons by the name of Malon and Kilion. Now, leaving uh, your hometown and, and going to a strange place is, is difficult. It, and they must have experienced all of the challenges uh, that come with being an immigrant. But to add insult to injury, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died while they were in this foreign land. I don't know if you can place yourself in Naomi's place and, and, and know that here she finds herself away from her homeland without a husband and with two boys. She becomes a single mother. These boys grew up and, and eventually they would be getting married. There weren't a lot of other Hebrew girls wherever they lived. Uh, the women that lived there were from another culture, from another language, from another religion. And, and this idea of, of a mixed marriage perhaps was not what Naomi had hoped uh, for her sons, but they find wives, Orpah and Ruth, and they marry them. And Naomi is experiencing this, this different turnout that was she had envisioned when she first married Elimelech. And the only thing that could make things worse for her now would be to lose one of her sons. And that's exactly what happens. Not only one son, but both sons die, and they die before they have children. So here, Naomi, who left Bethlehem years ago in search of a better life, in search of some economical relief, finds herself a childless widow. No husband, no children, no grandchildren. Truly shattered hope. And Ruth, her daughter-in-law, shares that shattered hope with her. Her husband dies when she's still a young woman. Losing a loved one is always a painful thing. But, but in those times, especially for, for Ruth, it was difficult. There was no life insurance to claim. There, there was no government programs to help her. There, there were not a whole lot of options of employment for her. So, so to be a, a widow without children was a really hard thing. She lived in the days of the judges in Israel. In those days in that part of the world, women did not have rights. They couldn't own property. They couldn't have a future without a husband or without a son. They faced the same difficulties that an orphan would, but even an orphan male had a better chance than a widow because he could inherit property, but Naomi could not. And so she, Ruth and Naomi find themselves in this difficult situation with hopes that are shattered. They find themselves destitute, devastated, and in despair. Naomi comes to the point in her life where, whose name means pleasant, Naomi means pleasant, where she tells others, call me Mara, which means bitter, because that's what she had experienced. Shattered hope, when families experience real hardship. And I identify somewhat with that. I, I remember growing up, I grew up in Monterey, Mexico, and, and my parents, they weren't rich, but we had a nice two-story home, and it was spacious, and, and we had nice vehicles, and we wore nice clothes, and, 
and we went out to eat to nice places and, and we traveled. In fact, one of our favorite things to do when we live in Monterey was to come shop in McAllen. I like that because we'd come and eat really good hamburgers and we'd always go back with toys. And then we had an aunt that had a condo uh, at South Padre and so we would come up and we would spend a few days at the condo and, and we would go to the, to the beach. And so one day my parents and the church that my parents pastored uh, decided that they were gonna send our family to Texas uh, to be missionaries and that our point of entry would be the Rio Grande Valley. And I thought, that's the greatest thing. We're gonna eat a lot of burgers, get a lot of toys, go to the beach a lot. That's, that's what I knew. And so uh, I realized that once we got here, life would be really different from what I had imagined because we were being supported by our church with Mexican pesos and they just didn't buy as much as they did back then. And then the peso devaluated in half. And so our standard living was cut in half from overnight. And, and there were difficulties and our house was smaller and our, our lifestyle was different and, and there was culture shock and there was language barriers and it just didn't turn out to be the way we thought. It was so hard that one day my father left and we didn't know where he went and we didn't know how long he would be gone. And I remember my mom crying and us gathering around her to pray because we didn't know what we were gonna do next. Things were already difficult. And now we didn't know what this meant. And I remember my mom asking the question, did we make a mistake? Should we go back? Where did we go wrong? It was hope shattered for us, experiencing real hardship. So what do you do when you find yourself in that place? What did Naomi and Ruth do? Well, that's where love comes in. That's where love is shown. I had the opportunity uh, this week to be uh, at the hospital uh, with Ray Ray. We call him Ray Ray. Sometimes he sits here towards the front. He, uh, he's been walking around with a walker. He hasn't been able to ride his bike to church, which he usually does, uh, because he's had knee problems. And he's been needing surgery for a long time. And, and he's been canceled for surgery like a dozen times. I'm not exaggerating. And so Elizabeth Zamora in our church is trying to help him to, to get what he needs. And finally this week, he had his knee surgery, which he'd been waiting for. And he was successful and he's recovering. And, I, and as I was sitting by his bedside and I was talking to him, he said, Pastor, I want you to know that Calvary is my family. You guys have helped me. You guys have made sure that I had my surgery. You guys visit me and, and call me. And, and, and you're there to help to make sure that I'm okay. It is real love shown in action. Naomi, this unhappy childless mom, had heard that things had gotten better back home. And so she decides to go back to her hometown in Bethlehem. And she figures that her two daughters-in-law are young enough where they can remarry, they can have new husbands and new children and a future. She's too old for that. So she gets ready to dismiss them. As she goes back to her hometown, she wants them to stay in their hometown where they grew up, where, where they knew the culture and the language because she loved them. She wasn't thinking about her own well-being but about theirs and their future. That's the kind of mother-in-law she was. But her daughter-in-laws loved her too. They loved her so much that they weren't about to let her go back 
by herself and to fend for herself. So they refuse to stay back. They want to go with her and they insist. And there's this back and forth, this tug of war. And Orpah finally listens to her mother-in-law. She decides to go. They, they hug and they cry. It's a tender picture of, of, of a foreign Gentile woman and an and a Israelite woman who, who didn't know each other before, but now had grown to love each other like mother and daughter. And they say goodbye, showing their real love. And while Naomi is bidding farewell to Orpah, the Bible says that Ruth clung to Naomi. Ruth says, look, Orpah's going back. You, you need to do the same thing. But Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it at all, all severely, if even death separates you and me. What an extraordinary commitment. A display of loyalty and, and real love. Sometimes couples use these words at, at weddings and, and I think it's fitting. But it's always good to remind ourselves that these words weren't pronounced by, by a groom and a bride. They were pronounced by a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. See, Ruth is free to start a new life. She, she can get a husband and raise a family of her own. She can remain in her homeland and keep her customs and be with her people. But she's willing to go to a strange land. She's willing to go learn a different culture and a different language. And she even makes a commitment to Naomi's God. Your God, your God will be my God. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Naomi, I will make my God is a statement of faith in following the God of Israel. And that sealed the deal for Naomi. She stops trying to convince her to go back and, and she realizes that Ruth is now willing to be the immigrant with her. And so they start their journey back to Bethlehem. And when they arrive in town, it seems like the women are murmuring and gossiping, look, and Naomi, she looks really old. Man, she's without a husband and without her children. Man, things have been really bad for her. Maybe, maybe it's because she left her homeland. Maybe because she left the place that, that, that has God's blessing that this is what's coming to her. And Naomi felt that judgment. But the one thing that she had was a daughter-in-law that loved her. Now the question was how they were going to make a living. I don't think there were a whole lot of job openings for foreign women in Bethlehem. But there was a provision, a provision in Moses' law that told farmers that during harvest, they weren't, to, they weren't supposed to try to get every grain and every stalk. They were supposed to let some of it fall so that the orphan and the widow and the foreigner could come and glean. And that would be God's provision for the poor, for the needy, for the destitute. And somehow Ruth knew about this, and so she decides that she is going to go glean in the field. It was harvest time. Love expressed in that kind of commitment to go back with Naomi, to, to go and glean in the fields. They were just trying to survive. They were just trying to put bread on the table. They were just putting one foot in front of the other. 
Sometimes that's, that's all you can do. Often moms live in that kind of a way. They exhibit real commitment. They serve their family sacrificially. It feels like it's just survival, but it's love at work. For my mom, when my mom became a single mom, it, it meant going back to school and getting her college degree, working full-time during the day, going to school at night, taking care of her children so that she could provide for them, loving them. For another mom in our congregation, it, it means taking care of a special needs child that, that, that was born and, and that the doctor said he couldn't live beyond three years old, but he's now an adult. And every day she's been taking care of him at night and, and feeding him and taking him to the doctor and, 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 and doing what one would do for a baby even for an adult child. It's love in action for a mother-in-law that I spoke to recently. It means listening to her daughter-in-law that's going through a crisis, crying with her, sharing her pain. For a young mom whose daughter is recovering from surgery, it, it, it means patience and sleepless nights. It means trips to the doctor and therapy and discerning when when the daughter really is in pain or when she's just trying to get attention. For other moms, showing love is, is getting the children to soccer practice, going to ballet recitals, going to piano lessons, staying up late at night, working on science projects, being a taxi driver all over town, getting them to church, signing up for church camp so, so that you can go and make sure that your children have a good experience. Moms show love in all kinds of ways, but sometimes it just means showing up. Regardless, every day they show up. They're committed. Sometimes it is joyful and exhilarating. Other times it's challenging and exhausting, but it's love nevertheless. Love shown when moms exhibit real commitment. That's what Ruth did. That's what many of our moms have done. That's what ladies in this room do and it makes a difference. We see you, it matters. And then we realize in our story that the faith of these women is strengthened. I had have the opportunity to serve uh, at an international, Buckner International Board and, and I'm the only pastor in that board and all, all the other board members are either attorneys or bankers or business owners or, um, or, or some other profession, people of influence, people uh, that decide to invest uh, of their vocation, their network, and their finances to help children who are vulnerable, to help vulnerable families. And sometimes I have conversations. And the other day I realized uh, at a board meeting as in breaks, I was talking to George. And, and George, who is an influential attorney, uh, in Austin told me, hey, I, I heard you and, and Monica met at Camp Sefer. And I said, yes, we did. He said, well, you know, my dad was a pastor in Sinton, Texas, when that land was given so that we could start a camp back in that day. And he said, I'm so glad that the camp continues to go on. And, and, and we shared stories. And, and I thought, how neat. George's dad was, was a pastor in South Texas. And then in another conversation, I was talking to Lynette. She's a retired attorney who has made a big difference in, in so many ways. And, and she said, Julio, did you go to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth? And I said, I did. And she said, well, I want you to know that my dad was a professor at Southwestern. I said, really, who was he? 
And, and, and she tells me, and I said, he was a distinguished professor of missions. And, and, uh, and here, you know, I got to meet his daughter. And then I was having another conversation with, with Margaret. And, uh, and I remember Margaret's dad, who was a pastor in Brazil. Uh, he was the president of the Baptist World Alliance. And, and uh, in fact, when he passed, I had the privilege of doing his funeral. And Margaret's a, a banker in Dallas, and, and she uses her influence to advance the kingdom. And I thought about the fact that all these three people, their, their dads were pastors, maybe in a humble way, maybe in a small church. And I wonder if those dads and moms ever knew what their children would become and the success that they would experience and how they would use their success to be a blessing, how they would use their vocation to protect and to advocate for children and vulnerable families. And I thought about the way that God works, the way that God is always redeeming, that, that our simple faith, our simple efforts of being parents are honored by God. That, that when we do our best and we realize that, that it's not enough, that God's grace fills in the gaps. That God's grace always completes what we do. God's redemptive grace was at work in the life of Naomi and Ruth, even when they were not aware of it. Ruth arrived at the harvest field and walked behind the harvesters, gleaning. I don't know what kind of looks they gave her. I don't know what the women that were working there might have thought of this foreign woman trying to glean. But I do know that the landowner noticed her. His name was Boaz. And Boaz was so impressed with her and her story that she said, look, you don't have to go to any other field to glean. Stay here and you're going to have enough. And she told the workers, you better be nice to her. I'm going to be watching you, how you treat her. And you better let her come to the drink station. She can come to the drink station. That, that was above and beyond what was allowed by the law, what was required by the law. And then he says, in fact, you can join us for lunch. And the Bible says that that he gave her some roasted grain. I'm thinking it was like old school granola or something. And she was able to sit down, take a break in the middle of a, of a hard work, a hard day's work and, and eat that roasted grain. And then she went back and continued to glean, went to the threshing floor. And at the end of the day, she had about 30 pounds of barley gleaning. She wasn't a worker in one day. 30 pounds of barley. That's a lot of grain. That's a lot of bread. That's God providing. That's the providence of God showing up to two women who don't know what their future looks like. And when she gets home, Naomi sees that evidently her day has been spectacular. And she says, where have you gleaned today? And Ruth tells her the story. And Naomi just is filled with, with a new sense of hope because she says, Boaz is actually Emelech's relative. He's a kingsman redeemer. That was a legal term for someone who could redeem a family in a serious difficulty. At last, hope seemed real. Their faith was strengthened because God extends real redemption. The guardian redeemer is a close relative who, who can redeem the land of of someone who has lost it or someone who has died and keep their name going, their, their legacy going. And so Boaz had the opportunity to take the land that Elimelech had lost 
and purchase it and with it redeem Naomi and Ruth so that they could have a future. This was God's providence at work. Boaz noticed that God was at work in Naomi's life, in Ruth's life. He celebrated that. He praised God for that. But he didn't just watch from a distance. He stepped in the story of redemption. He was kind to Ruth. And then he even decides to take her as his wife. Forfeiting his own line, his own legacy to take on someone else's. And it is now that we come to to the end of this story. And finally to our text, which is found in Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And he reads like this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive And she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Ruth chose to love her mother-in-law. She chose to continue the family name of the deceased husband by marrying the closest relative. And Boaz, on his side, chose to redeem Ruth and her deceased husband's name so that they could continue to have a name and a future. What an extraordinary end to a story that started so bitterly. The women in town that had been gossiping and murmuring and judging now were praising God because they had seen firsthand his redemptive work, how he restored hope and joy to two women who thought that they were destitute who thought that there was no future for them, who experienced so much loss. It was God redeeming them. It was a kingsman redeemer that was at work. And although the story seems to be primarily about Naomi and Ruth, and it was, the author of this book wants us to know that this baby boy, Obed, would eventually be David's grandfather. Think about that. Israel's greatest king was the grandson of an unlikely marriage of a foreign widow and a man who was a kingsman redeemer, Ruth and Boaz, because that's the way that God works, because that's the way God redeems, because that's the way that God operates. We know that our kingsman redeemer is Jesus Christ. We know that when he went to the cross and he died for our sins, he did that to redeem us from everything we've lost, everything that has ever hurt us, everything that has ever pulled us away, everything that has ever made us trip, everything that has shattered our hopes. Jesus took on himself at the cross of Calvary and he redeems everything. He redeems our families, he redeems our lives, He redeems our sin. 
he redeems our future. When Ruth decided to go back with Naomi, she didn't know what the future would hold. She just knew that's what she was supposed to do. When she went to the fields to to glean, she didn't know that they belonged to Boaz. She didn't know that he was a family relative. She just did what she was supposed to do. God was working on the other side. When, When Ruth had a baby boy in her womb and then gave birth to him, she had no idea that he would be the grandfather of King David. In fact, she may have never known that she was in the genealogy of Jesus because Jesus comes from the line of David. She never knew those things, but God knew. God was always at work. God was redeeming. When they didn't know it, when they couldn't see it, God was at work. He honored their faith. He honored their commitment. He honored their love. And then he filled everything else with his grace. And when God steps into our lives, it makes a real difference. And today, moms, ladies in the house, I want you to know that we are so thankful for you. And we want to encourage you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for for just getting by from day to day. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for your commitment and your faithfulness. God loves you. You make a difference. God honors your faith. And he's at work redeeming your family. I want to encourage you moms today to be encouraged to remain faithful in your call as you rely on God's grace. You don't have to do it all. You don't have to be super mom. You don't have to be super strong. You just have to show up and rely on the Lord and know that he will sustain you. He will carry you. And to the rest of us, I just want to say to you, let's honor our moms. Let's honor the women in our lives, whether they're aunts or mentors or adoptive moms or, or, or Sunday school teachers. Let's honor them. I want to close with a song that came out many years ago by a group called Point of Grace. And I think it's fitting when you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. I think this is true. It says like this, wake up to the sunlight and your windows open. Don't hold in your anger or leave leave things unspoken. Wear your red dress, use your good dishes. Make a big mess and make lots of wishes. And have what you want, but want what you have and don't spend your life looking back. Turn up the music, turn it up loud, take a few chances and let it all out because you won't regret it. Looking back where you have been because it's not who you knew and it's not what you did, it's how you live. So go to the ball games and go to the ballet and go see your folks more than just on holidays. Kiss all your children, dance with your wife, tell your husband you love him every night. Don't run from the truth because you can't get away. No, face it and you'll be okay. Oh, wherever you are and wherever you've been, now is the time to begin. So give to the needy and pray for the grieving even when you don't think you can. Because all that you do is bound up to come back to you. So think of your fellow man and make peace with God and make peace with yourself. Because in the end, there's no one else. Turn up the music, turn it up loud. Take a few chances and let it all out because you won't regret it. Looking back where you have been, because it's not who you knew, 
And it's not what you did. It's how you live. And I hope you live by faith, trusting in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.